want you to take your, excuse me, take your Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. How many of you believe when Richie prayed there and we joined our hearts together? You know, when somebody prays, if you will, the Bible said, if two or more, you will agree, agree. If somebody's praying something in your spirit, you agree with what he's saying. And you actually, the word is amen. You agree with it. That's people agreeing in prayer. How many of you believe that when we prayed, the father heard our prayer? I, I agree with that. The insurance policies say that that storm in Tennessee was an act of God. It was not an act of God. In the Bible, the only rain God ever sends is the gentle rain that causes things to grow. In the life of Jesus, anytime there was a violent storm that was destructive, Jesus rebuked it. He doesn't rebuke the work of his father. He only rebukes the work of the devil. And uh, what's going to happen is what the enemy sent to destroy, all of a sudden God's people are going to show themselves strong to care for people. And of course, our disaster vans were there the next day after the storm that we, we work real close with Samaritan's Purse, bringing volunteers in to help there. And uh, I really appreciate the prayer there because the Bible says that we should weep with those who weep. It didn't touch my house or your house, but we join in in weeping and, and praying and believing God to work a miracle for those folks. We've, we've got to reach the place in our lives, according to this book, where we believe that when we pray, something happens. It really does. All right, we're in a series now. We're spending time talking about worship. And we're learning about worship, not just so we can learn, but so it will change us, so it will affect us. Man's first response to the living God is to worship. It's the most important thing I ever do. It's the most important thing I'll ever do in eternity. And my heart goes to worship. I love it. And uh, this week, uh, you know, our, our foundational verse for this is John chapter 4. I'm just going to quote it to you. That the Father is seeking worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. For such the Father is seeking to worship him. And our Father is calling us to worship him. And we want to talk about why over the next few weeks. And tonight we want to talk about the power of worship. The power of worship. And, and why? what's this big deal about worship? There are some people that are sort of, I won't say it like this, they're into worship. Into worship. Some people are into theology. God bless you. Some people are into prophecy. God bless you over there. Other people, different people are into different things and there's some folks who are just into worship. Dear ones, we were created to worship. That's what we'll do for all of eternity. And I want us to spend this period of time saying, you know, I've sung all my life. I've been to church all my life. But I want you to talk to me about worship from your heart to my heart about this. Because I want to learn what you have to say. And today we want to learn about the power of worship. And before we can do this, I'm, I'm going to say this is, I don't know any other way to say this. Before we talk about the power of worship, we've got to spend a few moments talking about the weirdness of worship. And I, you said, you know, those people that are into that worship step, they're usually weird. We are. But it, it really is. I'm sorry. I don't know any other way to say it. I could, I, the biblical word is foolishness. The foolishness of worship, seeming foolishness. I don't know any other way to say this than to teach you that uh, a life of worship really doesn't make any sense. Intellectually or emotionally, it's just biblical. It just works. And you're going to see tonight, it just works. It'll, it'll, it'll aggravate your intellect. It'll, it'll ram against your emotions. But it has the power of God in it. According to Scripture, it just works. And I'm going to give you one of the great kingdom truths. Of, of If you don't get this, you'll never walk with God. This is one of the foundational kingdom truths. Our God always challenges human intellect. Our God always challenges human intellect. Most of the places in America now, we have reduced this great, great gospel down to something we can understand. You're not supposed to understand the gospel. It's not supposed to make sense. I'm going to show you this in scripture, but our great God will always challenge human intellect. First message I ever preached in this church over two years ago, I think the actual title was Get Your Big Old Head Out of the Way. I went to school and I can remember classes on sermon titles should be dignified and all this. I'm, I'm sorry. You didn't have enough money to hire anything except a truck driver when you called me. But if we just looked at this truth, and I want to say it. I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. You've got to nail this down on your soul. Our great God will always offend your head to test your heart to see if you will trust him so he can be good to you. 
That is the very foundation of walking in the kingdom. Our great God will always offend your intellect or your head to test your heart to see if you will trust him so he can be good to you. That's the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And, and I want you, until you start living from that premise that I do not mind being offended, I don't mind my head being offended because I want to trust God with my heart, you will never know the goodness of God. Why do, why do so many, I'm going to call them Christians, why do so many Christians not receive things from God if he's so good? This is the reason right here. Their intellect is offended. And that offended intellect stops them. One of the strangest passages the Holy Spirit showed me this years ago I'd ever read. Uh, and the, the answer is in, let me just quote this to you. Do you remember in the book of Luke chapter 15, Jesus was trying to explain what God was like. And he gave a parable. He, he spoke a parable called the parable of the prodigal son. I remember the parable of the prodigal son. All right, you've got a devil of a boy, an evil boy. He comes home and the father gives him everything. He, gave, he didn't give him new clothes. He gave him the best clothes. He gave him the signet ring you could buy with it. I and mean, that was the credit card. He, he gave him shoes. He threw a feast for him. He gave him the fatted calf. He was the bad boy. What did the good boy, the religious man, what did he get? Verse 29, he said, I have served you. I've kept your commandments. You never even gave me a goat. Do you remember that? What was the father's response in verse 31? Son, everything that I have is yours. Everything God had belonged to that boy, but he never got anything. This is the reason right here. Dear ones, when Jesus died on the cross, everything God has became yours. Can I ask you a question? If he gave his son for you, you don't think he'll pay your power bill? You don't think he'll deliver you from bondage? You don't think he'll give you his spirit, his peace? I mean, my son's the best thing I've got. If I'll give you that, surely I'll give you my money. Get it? That's, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him for us all, how will he not freely give us everything else? Well, why don't we have everything else? Our intellect is getting in the way of our faith because he's a faith God. And I want you to look with me at how we're letting <clears throat> our intellects rob us of the blessing of God. Before we can even look at the power of worship, you've got to understand this. 2 Kings chapter 5, let me just catch up rather than read it. The commander of the Syrian army, uh, Syria is the big country that borders Israel to the east. It, just like the geographic is today, geography is today. They had been raiding Israel and assaulting God's people. The commander of the armies uh, developed leprosy. He's going to die. We talked about leprosy Sunday. He's going to die. They had a little girl that they'd captured, a little Israeli girl. She was a servant to his wife. And she said, there's a man in my country who can cure leprosy. So he goes to his king and he says, they say there's a man that can cure. I mean, this guy's going to die a slow, painful death. He goes to his king and says, I'm, I want to go over there. So the king writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, I'm sending you my servant that you might heal him. The king of Israel gets angry and says, he's trying to pick a fight with me. Elisha said, send him to me. Send him over to me. So this commander goes to Elisha's door and uh, let's pick it up in verse 9. Naaman went with his horses and chariot. He stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, now here's, here's what he said for him. Today. I want you, you got to do something. I want to heal you, but you got to do something. Verse 10, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh will be restored to you. You shall be clean. Now, what do you see there? God wants to heal this man. This is his enemy. Can I ask you a question? If he will heal his enemy who is raiding his own people, you don't think he'll heal his covenant sons and daughters and be good to us? All right, so he's, here's the man. He said, I'm going to heal you. I want to help you, but I want you to do something first. I want you to go to the Jordan River and I want you to bathe seven times or just dip seven times. Watch what happened. Verse 11. Naaman became furious and he went away and said, I said to myself, there's the problem. I thought, this, this Hebrew for I thought, I thought he was surely, who's he? God. I thought God would do it this way. I thought God would do it this way. I thought he'd come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. And then in verse 12, he goes into human logic. Are not the Abana, the far part, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them? These are two beautiful, crystal clear rivers. The Jordan is a dirty, muddy river. He said, doesn't it make better sense if you're going to get healed, you go to a clear river? What does this man do right here? God offended his head to test his heart, to see if he would trust God so God could do good to him. 
Dear ones, this is all through the Bible, over and over and over. He tests people in faith to see if they'll listen to him. The rest of the story, he's, this man, he just walks off. He's going to die. God wanted to heal him. God said he would. But because his intellect got in the way, he almost died until a servant came up and said, Sir, if he asked you to do something great, you would do it. Why don't you get your intellect out of the way and just do what the man tells you to do? And he humbled himself and he went and did it. And you know the story. When he came up the seventh time, the Bible said his flesh was healed like that of a little child. Why is that in the Bible? The Bible is a book about God teaching you about himself. And what do we see in this passage right here? Do not let your intellect stand in the way of trusting God so he can be good to you. I want to ask you a question. If that little servant hadn't come talk to him and he hadn't changed his mind, would he have died of leprosy? Absolutely. Even though God was willing to help him. And some preacher would have laid it off and said, we don't know why God killed him. God didn't kill him. God healed him. When he humbled himself and got his intellect and his emotions out of the way. This is all through scripture uh, over and over. This is the revelation of God that he's going to challenge your intellect. In other words, you say, if I have to look dignified. You might as well just walk off from God. I have to be able to understand it. What are you doing in church? Go to a church where you can understand it and throw your Bible away too. Do you remember one day when there was a man, John chapter nine, and he was blind and they brought him to Jesus by the hand so Jesus could heal him? Do y'all remember that? One of the great passages in the Bible about blindness, religious and physical blindness. And Jesus spit in the mud and made mud balls and packed them in that man's eyes. And that's not the worst thing he did. Then he told him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it out. Well, you don't, you don't know that area, but where Jesus was standing, the pool of Siloam was on the other side of town. He had to walk all the way through town with mud in his eyes and muddy water dripping down his face onto his shirt to get healed. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Welcome to God. And the man had to decide, do I want to look dignified in front of people? Is God going to have to meet me on my terms? Or am I so desperate to see? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it costs me. And thank God that man had the wisdom. He didn't even argue. He just started walking. What did the Bible say? And he went and washed and he came back. Why did God do that? He will always challenge your intellect in your head to test your heart to see if you will trust him so he can be good to you. This is in everything we do. I want you to turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is not a one-timer in the Bible. This is the Bible. This foundational truth that we have got to get our heads out of the way. This is the great passage in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 2, that many people misapply to heaven. It's talking about earth right now. It's talking about God doing great things on earth. It can apply to heaven, but it's speaking of right now because it uses the word now. So now is now. And it talks about all the things God has planned for people. You've, you've heard this. I has not seen, I think it's verse nine. I has not seen, ear hadn't heard, nor has entered into the heart of man all the things God has planned for those who love him. A lot of people talk about, say, yes, heaven. Well, that is true about heaven. This is not talking about heaven. This is talking about now. You say, how do you know that? Read the next verse. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. You're not going to have anything revealed by the spirit when you get to heaven. You'll see clearly. This is talking about now. And talks about the great things he wants to do for you. But he, may, he reveals one of the great truths about God dealing with people in this passage. And I want you to read it with me. It's in verse 14. The Bible says, The natural man does not receive or will reject the things of the spirit of God. Why would a man reject the things of God? Let's read it. Because they are what? foolishness to him. It doesn't say they're foolishness. It says they're foolishness to him. Why would I reject and not receive what God has to say to me? What does it say? Because it looks foolish to my natural mind. If I'm a blind man and I believe Jesus can heal and I go to Jesus and I say, would you heal me? And he, he, you know, he, he put mud in his eyes. He did it another time. Twice he spit in people's eyes and he puts mud in my eyes. Let me, let me make an announcement. Putting mud in my eyes for me to see sounds foolish to me. So am I going to reject God because it don't make sense to me? I think Richie quoted it. His ways are not my ways. His ways are above my ways. And until I turn loose of my intellect and say, I don't care what it looks like. If you say it, I'm going to do it. I, my intellect is going to rob me of everything God wants to do for me. 
and steal from me the kindness of God. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13 there. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why do we receive the Holy Spirit? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He's given you so many things at the cross. Galatians 3 said Jesus became a curse for you because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon your life in Christ Jesus and we might receive the Spirit of God. He's got so many things for you. The Spirit was given to show him. Verse 13, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but in words which the Holy Spirit teaches. Friend, you cannot have human intellect and God's truth at the same time. They're juxtapositioned against one another. They conflict with each other. And you've got to trust him. You've got to learn to trust him. Uh, let's look at one more. This perhaps you, your mama showed you this years ago. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. I remember in the old country church. I remember my old deacon saying, Brother Brian, God gave you a mind and expects you to use it. That's a lie. That's just, I'm sorry, it's a lie. If your grandpa said that, I'm not being ugly to grandpa. I'm just telling you it's a lie. I can show it to you in scripture. God didn't give me this mind. Adam gave me this mind. My society gave me this mind. My culture gave me this mind. God gave me a word and expects me to believe it. See the difference? I'm not going to use my mind. I'm going to use his word or his voice to me. That's, in, that's what the scripture says right here. Proverbs chapter three, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your What? heart. Trust him with your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What does that tell me to do with my intellect? Don't prop up on your intellect. You trust God with your heart. You can't go with your head. You got to go with your heart. What if it seems foolish to my head? Who cares? My heart's going after God and I want to obey him and trust him. And all we, I'll just, I love this whole passage. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Now, I want you to look at something with me and tell me what you think this says. Verse seven, do not be wise in your own eyes. What does that tell you? Say, Brother Brian, I get to worshiping like that. I'll look stupid. What did the Bible say right there? Quit trying to impress everybody with how smart you are. Quit trying to look sophisticated. Quit, quit acting wise in your own eyes. Trust the Lord. Do what he tells you. And this is one of the great truths that we, you'll never understand kingdom life until you say, I don't care whether it makes sense or not. If I see it in this book, I'm going with it. I don't care whether I, I don't care if it offends my head. If God wrote it, my heart's after it. And dear ones, worship is like that. The worship, it doesn't make any sense until you honor him. Now, listen, there was the call to worship is not logical. It's not emotional. It's biblical, but I want to make an announcement. It is a faith test. How many times in the Bible did the living God ask somebody to do something? Now, follow me carefully. Did he ask somebody to do something without telling them what would happen when they did? But they did it just to honor him. And they went, whoa, look what I had no idea. You're not supposed to have an idea. You're supposed to obey and see the goodness of the Lord. All right, let's look at it in scripture. Now let's look at the power of worship in Acts chapter 16. If you can get your big old head out of the way. I've had people actually say to me, I think you're anti-intellectual. No, I'm unintellectual. To be honest with you, I really am anti-intellectual when you try to substitute the intellect of man for the truth of God. All right, in Acts chapter 16 is the great passage one of them, but it's one of the great passages where God teaches you and I, if you can get your head out of the way and become a worshiper, here's the great things I'll do for you. This is the passage on the power of worship. Acts chapter 16. I want you to read with me. Let's put in about verse 6. They, they, they're sent. If you can go back to Acts chapter 13, they're sent by God. The Holy Spirit said these two men, go preach the gospel in that place. Go tell the people how good God is and minister to them. So they go. They're doing that. They're ministering. This is where... Uh, uh, the, remember the Lydia, the seller of purple? She got saved by the riverside, got opened her heart. She got saved. And they started one of the great churches in the world right there in Philippi. I, I think she's probably the first pastor. I'm not Baptist anymore. I can say that. She's probably the first pastor. <laughs> and they're just, they're just preaching. Good things are happening around this little town here. Verse 16, Acts 16, 16. It happened as we went to pray one day, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination 
met us who brought her master's much money by fortune telling. So this, this girl was just not one of these freaky chicks on the side of the road who looked in her crystal ball and red palms. She had the ability. She was demonized. She could, she could contact familiar spirits from the dead. And I've heard people say, well, they told me things about my grandma nobody could have known. Yeah, those spirits contact each other. And that's how they lure you in, but it was demonic. And this girl had a true demonic presence that could tell things that nobody else knew. These guys are getting rich. They're charging money for her doing this. And uh, they're doing this. Verse 17, the girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed us the way of salvation. Now, why would the devil do that? You know, he doesn't want folks to get saved. You've got to understand this poor girl was a helpless victim. She's gripped by this demonic presence. And in the Bible, anytime Jesus walked around in the Bible, demons cried out, you are the son of God. Because demon spirits recognize the presence of God. And this girl, she's clueless. She didn't know what's going on. And, they, you know, she's reading fortunes and got her at a table or whatever. And these men walked by and, the, and the, the darkness inside of her screamed out, that's him right there. Not the men, God in the men. So she's screaming this. And, and the, I promise you, the devil wasn't wanting people to come get saved. He's trying to aggravate them. And he's trying to break up the revival. And so she follows him around doing this. Verse 18, this she did for many days. I, I don't know what happened there. I guess all day long she followed him around screaming. But Paul greatly annoyed, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. <laughs> if the man who wrote the New Testament can be annoyed, so can I. He turned and said, not to the girl, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. He came out that hour. Now what you gonna do? And even in annoying, annoying love, he delivers this young girl. When her master saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, drug them into the marketplace to the authorities. Now remember, their culture wasn't legal like ours is. They didn't have the safety marks we do. And they brought the magistrates saying, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They're lying about them. They teach customs that are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. I maybe know they don't care what you teach. All they hear is my cha-ching is gone. Now watch these words. The multitude rose up together against them. Now you've got the demonic in the whole atmosphere. And this is sort of like politics right now. The atmosphere is charged with demonic hatred toward these men. And the magistrates tore off their clothes, commanding them to be beaten with rods. They tie you to a whipping post and whip you like a bamboo rod. When they laid many stripes on them, matter of fact, it was 39 stripes. You were allowed to hit a man 40 times under Roman law and they'd always count back one just in case they'd miscounted. So 39 stripes. They threw them into the prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received the charge, he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. Stocks are very uncomfortable. It's a wooden slide on the floor where you sit on a... These weren't concrete steel prisons like we have. These were dirt, rock, nasty places. Their feet are locked in these. It's very uncomfortable. You know, your feet are straight out in front of you. They're locked. You can't, why can't they lean back? No, I mean, probably nothing, probably there's nothing to lean back on. And if they could lean back, who wants to put that back against anything now? And they're sitting in raw sewage. They did what God told them to do. This is not working out. This is darkness. There's tremendous pain. This, this hurts. This be a, have, you, have you ever been in a demonic charged atmosphere where somebody says the tension's so thick you can cut it with a knife? That's not the Holy Spirit of God. And, and these guys are just, what, what's going on? Now, they, they're look, they don't have the perspective we do. They're in the middle of it. They've obeyed God. Nothing's going right. All hell's come down on them. They're suffering for obeying God. What do you do when you're in a case like that? Watch verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God. Right there in the middle of all that pain and all that darkness, they just began to worship God. And they began to sing and praise God and worship and adore God. I want to ask you a question. Now be honest with me. Does that make a lick of sense? That's the last thing in the world I'd want to do right there. That didn't make any sense at all. Well, all right, I'm going to ask you, I'm, I'm, we're going to read a little bit more now, and I'm going to ask you a deep question. Be ready. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening. Verse 26, suddenly, immediately, there was a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison was shaken. All the doors were open. Everybody's chains were loosed. 
The keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he supposed the prisoners had fled. He drew his sword. He'd about to kill himself because he knew he'd be killed if they got loose. Paul called with a loud voice, do yourself no harm. We're all here. He called for a light, ran and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, and here's this famous verse, believe on the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Your whole family can be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. He and his family were baptized immediately. He brought them into the house. He set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with his household. When it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let these men go. In that whole passage right there, can you see a change somewhere? Can you see a change in the atmosphere and the activity and what's going on? Try to pinpoint for me where the change took place. Find the verse. See if you can find the verse where the change took place. 25. What happened that changed everything in that community? What happened? When they worshiped God. When they began to praise and worship God. Now here's the deep question I want to ask you. How many of you think that they're choosing to worship God when they didn't feel like it. Now you may ask me, how do you know they didn't feel like it? Really? <laughs> you have just been assaulted for no reason. You had the pudding beat out of you. You're bleeding in raw sewage, locked in jail, and you feel a sweet, sweet spirit? <laughs> they didn't feel like worshiping. How many of you think them choosing to worship God when they didn't feel like it had something to do with the good things that happened? If you miss that, close your Bible and let's go home. The whole point of the passage is that when they worship, God released his power into their lives. See there? This is the whole point. You say, well, Brother Brown, I think that was wonderful. Close your Bible and go home again. This is not in here so we can rejoice in what they did. The Bible is God teaching you. What's he saying to me through this passage? Are you hurting? Are people being ugly to you? Are, do you have wounds? Are you in pain? Are you in darkness? You know what darkness is, don't you? When you can't understand nothing. Are you in this place right now? Quit whining. Start worshiping. Worship me. Praise my name. I don't care whether you feel like it or not. Rear back and praise God and sing praises to him. Why would he do that to me? Is this some kind of test to see how tough I am? Friend, this is... You ready? He will offend your head to test your heart, to see if you will obey him so he can do something good for you. That this is one of the great tests and of course this man passed it and uh, they began to worship God and, and in their dark and in their pain and no understanding, they began to worship God. Now, how many of you think they worshiped him because it made sense? What makes sense in that hour? I want my one phone call. I want to talk to my lawyer. You know what makes sense? You know what makes sense in this hour right here? If this is what you get following God, I'm done. Can we be honest? I mean, if this is what I get for obeying God and this is what's going to happen to me, why would I follow him? That's what makes sense. How about feelings? Everybody loves feelings, except me and Jesus. What do you think they felt like doing? I bet they felt like unloading on God. Can we be honest? You know, that's what they felt. I bet they felt like unloading on that jailer or anybody to stand still to be unloaded on. Who cares how you feel? I'm not, I'm not belittling your heart. I'm just telling you, if you live by your feelings, you'll never know God. You've got to go by his word and his promise. And, and it didn't make sense. They, I'm going to tell you, you know why they worshiped? Because they were worshipers. Friends, God's not looking for people to worship him. Go back and read it again. The Father's looking for worshipers, people who will become worshipers. And the reason they worshiped in that mess is because they were committed worshipers. If you only worship when everything's hunky-dory, you know what hunky-dory is. If you only worship when everything's going well and you feel good, that's not a worshiper. That's somebody who sings when things are feeling good. Worshipers worship no matter what's going on around them. They praise God in the good times and in the bad times. And they were worshipers. You know why they worship? Listen to me. These men trusted God's word. All right, let's look at it. Let's see if they did or not. 
Rather than look at all of them, I'll just quote a few to you. Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 20. Always. What's the word always mean? Giving thanks in everything. Is that the, does anybody know if that's true or not? Did I make that verse up? What does always giving thanks in everything mean? There's never a moment in my life, no matter what's going on, that I'm not to be giving thanksgiving praise to God. All right, now just hang in there with me. There's a reason. This is not some sadistic God saying, I'm going to find out whether you're going. That's not it at all. He does this so he can be good to us. Years ago, a man in my church called me one day, dear friend of mine, years, years ago, and his wife had run off with another woman and uh, left him for, I mean, just out of the blue. He didn't know anything was wrong until the day she came and got her. And he's devastated. And uh, her mother was also in my church. She came to see me and she was absolutely distraught. She, I mean, she couldn't even hardly function. And I sat her down and I got to help her. And uh, <clears throat> she, you know, she just wanted to talk and cry. Talking and crying don't help. And I said, I want you to get hold of yourself for a minute. I'm, I'm going to help you. And she said, what are we going to do? I said, well, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. First thing we're going to do, we're going to pray and we're going to give thanks to God for his goodness. She got so angry at me. Guess where I got that from? It is time to quit carrying the Bible and start doing what it says. And, and I, I let her blast for a while. And finally I said, are you going to obey God or not? Well, there's time. Do you remember that old commercial, thanks, I needed that? We need this once in a while. I know thy word is a lamp unto my feet, but it also says thy word is a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces sometimes. And finally got her settled down and she said, okay, you pray. I said, no, your family, you pray. And she started out in raw, naked faith just because the Bible said to. And as she kept thanking God for his goodness and different things, a quietness came over her and a peace came over her. And the same thing happened in that office that day that happened right there. That doesn't make a lick of sense, but it works. And, and just to obey God, Ephesians 5, 20, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says this, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, that you give thanks in everything, all things, whether you feel like it or not. I want you to turn with me. Let me show you one of my favorite verses in the Bible. They're, I mean, they're all my favorites. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. This is, uh, people say, Brother Brown, we should do what the Bible says. Well, let's start doing this one. All right, here's one of those. This is what we call a trick verse. Read this with me. Psalm 34. Got it? Verse 1. I will bless the Lord when I feel like it. I will bless the Lord when? His praise will what? Continually be in my mouth. Does that say I will bless the Lord when I don't understand what's going on? Will I bless the Lord when I don't understand what he's doing? Will I bless him when he doesn't answer my prayer? Will I bless him when everything's going wrong? Will I bless him when I don't feel like it? What does all times mean? There it is. Worshippers bless God all the time. They set their hearts to worship and praise God. Uh, let me give you another one of my favorites. We won't look it up. Psalm 130, 113, verse 3. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. You can go all through Scripture and you see this call to just worship me, praise me and worship me and honor me. Now, I want to say it again. What, what kind of sadistic deity would make me sing when I'm suffering? How many of you know this is for my good and his glory? I tell you, the bottom line is this is not one of those, you better, you better, you better dry them tears up and dance for me. Not that, not that at all. This is the goodness of God. Everything he does requires an act of faith on my part. And there's no greater act of faith than to worship God when you don't feel like it. And when things are not going well. And we begin to praise and worship him and glorify his name. Right, let me ask you a question now. In Acts 16, 25, we read, what happened when they began to worship God? Was not the power of God released in the worship? Did the spirit of God not come and do something great? All right, let me ask you, all right, stay with me. Get, let's get theological for a minute. How many of you believe it was the will of God to come down there and set them free and heal their backs and turn people's... How many believe that was the will of God? 
You know how I know it was his will? Who, somebody got it right. He did it. He don't do anything except his will. I mean, here's my question. Think about this. If it was his will, why did he wait till they started worshiping? Because his will always requires, even if it's his will, he won't do it until I act in faith. How many of you believe God Almighty wants to save every human being for all of eternity? You think that? Can you support that? Second Timothy, God who desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God so loved who? Not just a few of us, the whole world that he gave his son. Why are most people not going to be saved if he wants to save them? For by grace are you saved through faith. And until you call on him, you can't be saved. Do you understand? No matter what he wants, this business of he's going to do what he's going to do, that is not true. He gave his son to be good to you, but it takes an act of faith on my part to release the goodness of God and release his power into my life. We got to get off this sovereign stuff. Now he is sovereign 100%, but he wrote a book to show us his kindness and we're to reach out to him to receive his goodness out of that word. All right, I want to do this. <clears throat> I'll take a minute and uh, what happens when we worship from the heart? And again, it's got to be heart worship. Because I cannot emphasize singing is not worship. You can worship in your song, but singing is not worship. You know, when you're standing there and you're singing, a mighty fortress, looking at your watch and your mind's already on the race, that's not worship. That's singing, thinking about the race. A man sitting in church thinking about fishing, that's dead religion. A man sitting in his boat thinking about God, that's living faith. That's not worship, that's just singing. You say, man, I like that boogie-woogie. I like that new boogie-woogie music. I, I like. That's not worship, that's just liking boogie-woogie music. It's all that. I mean, same thing at a country music concert. Now, I'm not against drums. The Bible said, praise the Lord with the cymbals. Praise the Lord with the clashing cymbals. So I don't like that loud stuff. Take it up with the one who wrote the book. What is the one thing that has to happen for it to be worship? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts. It's gotta be from the heart. It's gotta be heart worship. <clears throat> what happens when we worship from the heart? All right, you ready? One, two, three, four, five, six. We learn from Acts chapter 16, six things happened when they began to worship God and he'll do the same six things today. This is why this book is written so we can learn. And if you're in need of one of these six things, rear back and let it rip, tater chip. You need to start singing. Number one, freedom. What happened? The moment they began to sing, what happened? Did not their chains fall off? Did not their prison doors open? Do you, you think that's talking about handcuffs from the Alamance County Jail? Can't you see this is a picture of the bondages? If you don't believe that, then read Psalm 149, that the high praises of God will be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to bind the demons with the presence of God. You'd be surprised what will fall off you in worship. If you just really worship God, how that garbage will fall off you, bondage, fear. Fear cannot stay where worship is. Anxiety can't stay where worship is. I, I think the pain falls off in worship. Addictions fall off in worship. Worship just, you can't explain it. It just works. Let me tell you something else. Temptation disappears in worship. Temptation disappears. There is a place near the heart of God where temptation just can't come. It's in his presence and in worship. We're trying to get all that. Just worship God. And become a worshiper and go into his presence with worship and freedom comes. You know why freedom comes? Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. There's times I don't even know I got stuff. Not long ago, I walked into a house and I, it was just a typical day. I maybe know you pick up boogers just walking around in society. Y'all didn't know that? You didn't know you can pick up demonic junk. Didn't do nothing wrong. Nothing. Didn't do anything wrong. You just walk around in society, you pick up boogers. And I'm talking about demonic junk. Just heaviness gets on you, junk gets on you. Y'all didn't know that. I just walked into a house the other day and there was the most anointed worship music playing. And I was waiting on, so I just stood there for a minute and all of a sudden I just felt myself getting lighter and, and just more peaceful and just a... I, I hadn't done anything. I promise I hadn't done nothing wrong. It just, you just picked this junk up. What do you think it meant in John 13 when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet? And he came to Simon and Simon said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't walk with me. You can't have a part with me. He said, do my head and my hands too. 
And Jesus said this, he who is clean does not need to bathe completely, not his head, just his feet. What's that right there? As you walk through this world, you pick up junk and junk gets on us. It is the worship that washes it off. And, and we just worship God and junk. I'm telling you, the enemy, it's like, it's like, all right, let me go into detail here. Devils absolutely hate each other. They hate God and they hate you. But I'm going to tell you what they really hate. They hate worship. Because they worshiped God for all of eternity. And they were thrown out of their position. They'll never worship him again. And when people begin to worship God with a pure heart, it is like fingernails on a blackboard to them. It drives, they turn, I believe I could build a case from Second Chronicles. I believe they turn and chew on each other when people worship. And you want to get the boogers out of your house and out of your life, you just worship God. Number two, light. One is freedom. Number two is light. Do you notice when they begin to worship God in their darkness, what's the first thing that happened? A light came in. Now, you know, we're not talking about 60 watts here. Have you been in a place where you just didn't understand what was going on? Where nothing made sense? You couldn't hear God? You didn't know what to do? You were confused as a termite and a yo-yo? You ever been there? That's called darkness. How many times have I been confused or didn't know what to do? And man, in my job, you got to make hard decisions. Fortunately, in my line of work in a church this size, when you make a decision, everybody is happy with it. <laughs> All right, here's the truth. I am not smart enough to make decisions for people. I know that. You so say, we should have got an educated minister. That's worse. They're not smart enough either. They just don't know it. I am not smart enough to make decisions for people. I don't know what to do. How many times have I been in the dark, didn't know what to do? And instead of, God forbid, don't get some men together and talk about it. That's malignant confusion. That's just multiplying your confusion. I'll get quiet and worship God and just wait on him. And all of a sudden the answer will come. And I'll see things clearly. There's you see in worship. Your mind, things come into your mind and your heart. You see things clearly in worship. Number three, now this, this is unusual, salvation. Number three is salvation. When they begin to worship, let me ask you a question. What did they go to that city for? To preach the gospel, get people saved. Instead, they got in jail and got everybody mad. <laughs> what happened when they worshiped? Man came right up to him, fell down, said, tell me how to get saved. And he got his whole family saved. Jack Hayford was the evangelism director for his entire denomination years ago. And Jack's job was to go teach churches how to get people saved. He said, there's just one problem. I didn't know that well myself. And I had all these methods people could use to get people saved. And he said, then I began to pastor and God spoke to my heart and said, lay aside your man-made traditions and you build this church on worship. And he, he said, I said to him, if we just worship you all the time, how will people get saved? They were running 140 at the time. When Jack retired, they're running over 10,000 on a Sunday. And he said, we didn't fuss at people to get saved. In the presence of God, people just know to get saved. People just, do you see them witnessing to that jailer? They didn't witness to him. They just worshiped God. But something inside of him said, you need what they got. Go ask them how to get it. And the presence of God comes in worship. And people just, you teach a church how to worship and let the people worship passionately, people will get saved. Before you give an invitation. You say, I, I don't understand that. There you go again. God is big enough to run people down without my mouth. His spirit can track them down. Salvation comes when people get saved. Listen, quit, tell, quit telling God it's terrible with my children. Start praising God that he has surrounded your children with faith and love and your children are going to worship God one day. Start praising God for what he's going to do for your children, what he promised. And worship him. Don't tell him, worship him about the thing. Number four, healing. Did you notice they were suffering so bad from those wounds? What happened when they began to worship? The man took them and healed their wounds and washed them and put in oil and ointment. They got healed. How many people are healed emotionally when they learn how to worship? How many people, the pain of childhood trauma is taken away in worship? I've watched people just fall down weeping in great worship services and it was because God was doing such an inner healing work and he did it in the worship. There was all the information in the world can't do what the presence of God can and the touch of God can. Mental healing comes in worship. 
People are stressed today mentally. We need to worship so we can find healing. And physical healing. I think physical healing comes. And please worship God in that stuff. Number five, provision. Don't you know they was hungry after all they've been through? It seems like one of the minor points, but they were hungry. People get hungry. How long had it been since they'd eaten? As soon as they began to worship God, within a few minutes, what to say? The jailer's feeding them. Somebody else paid for it. Then was it worship God. Just worship him. I, I don't ever ask the Lord, Lord, please, please pay the bills for my church. You know we got a lot of bills. And please, I just praise him and thank him that we have daily bread in this place because he is good and Jesus paid for it. And I worship you and bless you that all of our needs are met in Christ Jesus. Just worship him and he'll do it. Let me throw in one more, the last one. Changed attitudes. How many of you know we need to some changed attitudes? In me first. Do you, you notice when they begin to worship, everybody's attitude changed around them? Now, let me help you here. Let me help you here. You don't change people's attitudes by fussing at them. You say, Brother Brown, I wish you'd talk to my 13-year-old. Why? You want me to be depressed too? <laughs> fussing at people don't change their attitudes. God changes people's attitudes. I've seen people so angry and mad and hard and what you couldn't counsel into them in years, in one moment the Holy Spirit comes and their hearts are tender and they start weeping. My attitude gets changed in worship. This is embarrassing, but I'm going to tell it. Just us tonight anyway. Years ago at another church, it's always at another church. I had a fellow working with me and I swear he could tear more up in one day than I could fix in three lifetimes. He just, you know, sometimes people just don't work out with each other. He was on the staff guys and he could do more damage and I, bless his dear heart. No, bless my dear heart. And I'd get so aggravated. I'd think I can't decide whether to shoot him or stab him. I don't know what to do. I, it just kept things up in it all the time. I was so aggravated with him and I would just have had it with him and every morning I would go to pray and I, back then I prayed in the cemetery, a little country cemetery. I'd go out there and pray and just wait on God and pray. And every time I'd go to pray, when I got done, you know what? I found out my attitude toward him had changed completely. I never prayed about him. Maybe that's what's wrong with him. I never prayed about him, but my heart would be so, I would see things differently after I prayed. Because in the presence of God, our attitudes get changed. The bitterness, the anger, the nobody listens, all that garbage is gone in worship. That's why it's so important to worship God and bless Him and praise Him. And let worship have, listen, worship's the most powerful thing in the world. It's what changes the world. I would dare say if we would begin to worship God, it would take care of all the other stuff we're trying to do through so many different ways. All right, I do want us to turn as we quit. Let's read the verse one more time. Turn with that to John chapter four. I, I just believe God Almighty speaks this verse with a twinkle in His eye. You know what that means? It's like, I'm going to ask you to do something and it's not going to look like much, but if you'll do it, I have got such a blessing in store for you. Years ago, back for all this modern communication, when your children were in college, back when I drove my Model A to Gardner-Webb, back when we were in college, you didn't have telephone. We had, had them on the wall, but you didn't have texting and cell phones and all that. Guess how you communicated with your mama? Because it was long distance if you did call them. Guess how you communicated? Is anybody old enough to remember this? Letters. Yeah, somebody's old designed letters. You had to write letters to you. You'd write your mama a letter and she'd write you a letter and we wrote back and forth. Y'all don't, I know you're there. You can find them in museums. Just look under L. They're, they're there. We wrote letters to each other back then. Your mama wrote you a letter. Your grandma wrote you a letter. And, uh, and a lady told me one time, she said, I write my son these letters, but he never writes me back. I said, I can cure that. She said, what? I said, write him another letter. And write him, tell him, said, I love you. Son, I'm praying for you. I'm putting this $20 bill in just to let you know I care about you. And don't put it in there. He'll write you back. <laughs> but there was it, it, it's like grandma says, can you come see me? Could you come see me? And you go, wow, well, I really don't have time, but that's my grandma. I need to go see her. And you go over and see her, and she says, uh, so good to see you. The reason I wanted to come see you is I found this $100,000 gold bond and wanted to give it to you. Am I glad I went to see grandma or what? Talk to me. <laughs> do you understand this? God is good. Anytime he asks you to do something, even if you don't understand it, you need to go, he is good. And I'm, I don't care whether I see the whole thing or not. I'm just going to do what the man says. 
That's what John chapter 4, verse 23 is. Let's read it. John 4, 23. The hour is coming and now is. Dear ones, if, the hour, if there was ever an hour when the church needs to start worshiping God again, it is now. When people need to become worshipers again. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit. Do not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is your life. And in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Why is He doing that? Why is God advertising for worshipers? <laughs> Can't you see? He put an ad in the Bible right here calling people. Does anybody want to worship me? Why is He doing it? Is, is it because he, he gets a thrill out of it? It's for you. It's for your sake. And I would encourage you to just worship, worship, worship and, and learn to worship passionately. Now, <clears throat> let me throw this in as we depart. We'll talk more about this later. Let me you know what default mode is. Let me know what default mode is. All right, on my computer, I have a default mode screen. It's a picture of the mountains. Some of you probably got a picture of a Corolla or something, but it's a picture of the mountains. And anytime I'm on there, it becomes whatever I want it to be. But anytime I'm not touching it, it goes back to the default mode, and that's what you get. You understand what I'm talking about? Default mode. It's what you do when you're not doing anything else. It's just what you always go back to when you're not trying. You with me? How many of you know you have a default mode in your soul? You know, when you're trying to behave in front of somebody, that's what you're doing. And when you're, you can try things, but when you're not trying to do something, whatever's happening inside of you, that's your default mode. By the way, this is script. Okay, okay, I know, okay. You gotta have a verse for everything. Fine, fine. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. All right, that tells me right there, my default mode needs to be worship. Now I know some, I got some friends, their default mode is complaining. We're fixing to go out on fun, you ready? Their default mode is complaining. You know, if they're giving a presentation at work, that's what they concentrate on. If they're asked to sing in church, oh, they sing, I'm mighty. Well, they sing. But you just let them relax at the table. They go back to default mode. They start whining about everything in town. Elbow him. They do. I got other folks, their default mode is fear. They're, they're just nervous and scared of everything. It's what they just automatically happens inside of them. Our default mode should be worship. We just need to automatically worship. I mean, when we're not, you know, sometimes you got to concentrate on problems. Sometimes you got to blow your nose and all that, but worship should just be natural. You say, I wish I were like that. Do it. Listen, your default mode comes by making it happen. You weren't born with it. You know how it happens? You practice a habit 30 to 40 days, it'll become your default mode. Listen, it's just us. Can we talk freely? I need one yes. Thank you. If you're a whiner, it's because you taught yourself to be that way. Can I get an amen? If you're a complainer, it's because you taught yourself to be that way. If you're prejudiced, you weren't born prejudiced. You had to be taught to be like that. If you're one of them people, you see the best in everything. What a great day this is. You were taught to be that way. You can change your default mode. Take your glasses off. And uh, if you don't have none, buy you some. And get one of them little fine pointed uh, Sharpies and right across there, I will worship. Just right across there and put it on right there. <laughs> worship should be our default mode. It should be what we do naturally. Constantly, if I'm in a store or something, somebody will just say to me, boy, you're having a good day, aren't you? And I was singing and didn't even realize it. You know why? Because I have worked at it. I just want to make an announcement. Worship is better than whining. I, I, that's all the amens I get out of that. My God have mercy. Don't y'all know nothing? My gracious. Teach yourself to worship. It will start out, here's the two words, it'll start out as a discipline because you do have to discipline yourself to obey God. In other words, you just have to put out the effort. But it will become your delight. And the very delight of your life will be to live in the presence of God as he inhabits the praises of you. And you just live in his presence. I remember years ago, I'm, I'm, I've just gotten saved and we, I thought about this, this is the craziest thing. I'm just 18 years old, we've just gotten saved and a friend of mine said, there's a meeting going on on the other side of Charlotte 
And it's just, just, just in a house. And uh, I want you to go out there with me, man. Some great things. Are, God's doing some great things. And I told my preacher, I'm going to go out there with him. He said, son, stay away from those people. That's not a real preacher. And they're, they're, that's them strange people. Back then it was called the charismatic renewal. Stay away from them people. Don't you go around them. And I thought, to handle snakes? You just trust me. I thought, well, amen, because I trust my preacher. But by the same token, friends of mine were going out there and some wonderful things were happening. And uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll put on a wig and slip out there. Of course, I had long black hair down to here back then. So I put on a blonde wig. Maybe the preacher won't find out. And I said to God, don't you tell him either. I said, I don't want to know this. <laughs> I go out there and there's just a little, old, it, was a, it was a pretty good sized house, west side of Charlotte. And uh, Harry Bazell had opened this place and I went out there, and I just thought about this the other day. You know what the name of it was? The Lamb's Chapel. And I went out to that place and I went out and it was just a bunch of hippie looking people and sitting around it. They didn't have chairs. You sat on the floor. And Harry Bazell had a couple of guitar players and they'd just play and sing and worship God. They were into this new worship thing that was breaking loose in the 70s, a bunch of hippies and you know, all that weird stuff. And they, had, they didn't, have a, didn't even have programs. Couldn't have been a real church. And Harry didn't have a tie on. That, that, you didn't do that back then. But they, they would worship God. Well, I, I, I've been to worship services. I've been there before. You know, the organ knock you down. I've been in that before. But these people began to just worship and sing songs. Back in the Kumbaya days, 29 verses, because no other songs had been written. It was all you had. And you, they sang and whatnot. But you know what I remember? I remember the presence of God coming into that little house. It was actually a big house, but an old house. I remember the presence of God coming in here. And I remember saying to myself, I'm just a new Christian. I remember saying to myself, I don't know what this is right here, but whatever it is, I want it. And I would love to live in this presence all the time. I thought you had to go to that little house, to that house to get it. And I would say to this girl who said, when are we going to go back out there where God lives? You didn't find God in our church. I'm not being unkind. They were good people to me, but you just went through the motions and the preacher fussed at you. And I just said, when are we going to go back out there to where, you know, that place where God stays? I said, let's go out there again. And I'd sneak out there. I got caught. <laughs> then I had to decide, do you want the approval of the preacher? Or do you want the touch of God? Which one do you want? But I'd sneak out there and taste the goodness of God. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if God was somewhere else beside this house? I thought maybe we could franchise him and like get him to go to another house and we could have two places we could go and find God. I, you remember, I'm just a kid. I'm just new. I'm thinking about it. Maybe we'll get him to move over here for a while. And I would say, why don't you come to my church? I mean, he's no respecter of persons. He inhabits the praises of his people. And God just visited that place. And I, I loved Harry and it was just a... Great. And then I made one of the great mistakes of my life. I went off and learned how to preach. God knows I'm still getting over that. But I'm going to tell you something. I love the presence of God. I, I live for the presence. There's nothing like it. And then I found out, I read his book. By the way, he wrote a book. It is really good. And I found out in that book, he don't just live in that house. He lives in the praises of his people, which means you can meet him anywhere. I can meet him in the barn. I can meet him in my office. I can meet him anywhere. I can meet him in my Jeep. I franchised him into the Jeep. You can meet him anywhere you want to if you will become a worshiper. Amen. Now, I'm not, I'm not great at it yet like I want to be, but there's a man named Brother Andrew who wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he said, if a man or woman wants to, they can live in the unbroken presence of God every moment of their lives. And it'll be just like heaven on earth. And you can still do your work. You can still cook and clean and do what you got to do, but you can live in the unbroken presence of God. And Brother Andrew says you do it through worship. Well, it's true. And I want everybody, that's why Jesus said, if any man thirsts, come to me. And you don't have to, you, you don't have to go to Charlotte. The old house has been knocked over anyway. You don't have to go to Charlotte. I think Harry moved up to Moravian Falls. You don't have to go anywhere. You can go to God himself. And he'll meet you just like he will anybody. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you tonight. You are the object of our worship. You're our heart's desire. You're everything beautiful in the earth. Your word's very clear that King David just simply prayed, one thing I have desired that will I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord to dwell in his tabernacle. 
I pray for every person here tonight. I just sense you are speaking to this church right now that you want to do a new thing in this place and it's going to center around the worship of the living God. That you would rebuild, if we would do it, you would rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David where they worship perpetually and you find your heart there. I trust you for that. Thank you for every person here tonight. I pray in Jesus' name that hearts will be sparked to say, I want to be, I don't want to just go to church or to worship. I want to be a worshiper. I want to live my life to worship the living God and meet him there. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. And I still believe you that you're in the earth today and people can draw close to you. And I thank you for the promise in the book of James. You draw close to God. He will draw close to you. I trust you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.